Hey everyone, and welcome back to The Beautiful Hustle, the podcast that connects the heart to the hustle of the beauty industry. We're your hosts, and with me is my beautiful friend, Jessica Saunders. Hey, here with my handsome friend, Philip Procopio. We are so excited to be on our final day of the Aveda Takeover over here at the Beautiful Hustle podcast. We are going to end with our biggest interview yet, and I cannot wait to share with you this conversation we're having with Antoinette Beenders. She is the Senior Vice President of Global Professional Artistry at Aveda. She is a worldwide industry icon. She has won some of the most prestigious awards, including British Hairdresser of the Year. She has styled for some of my favorite brands like Alexander McQueen. I could literally do an entire episode just celebrating yeah. her, but let's just welcome her to the podcast. Welcome, Antoinette. Hi, guys. How are you? We are fantastic so and good. so excited to be here with you today. Same here. I'm really excited and what a wonderful opportunity to to share, you know, to share some of my history with all your view or your viewers, your listeners, I suppose, on a podcast. Um, yeah, I'm super excited. And, and thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. We are, it is such an honor. And we never dreamed when we were just in the planning stages of this podcast that we would get someone of your caliber so soon on our podcast. So we're so grateful and honored to have you on. So we- oh, that's very kind. Well, like I said earlier, I'm just like anybody else. You know, I just do what I love and work hard. I love that. And that that's part of the joy in podcasting is yeah. um, the conversations are so natural and you get to learn people about people in a way that we never have before. So yeah, tell us no, a little it's, it's bit super exciting. about how you are. So these times are so unique and everyone experiences them so differently. We'd love to hear kind of what your experience with quarantine and COVID has been and where your mind's at right now. How is life for you? Okay, well, it's it certainly has done a huge turnaround. But it's been very interesting. Um, I've been working from home. Uh, I uh, I live in Minneapolis. So, um, you know, actually today it started snowing. First day of snow of the season. <laughs> uh, four to six inches are predicted. So that's kind of always an interesting day. But, um, yeah, I've been here working from home since the second week of March. Until then, I was traveling around the world, the, even the first week of March, I was doing a photo shoot for botanical repair in New York and mm-hmm. literally I came home and I haven't been to the office yet. <laughs> um, so what I did, I actually turned my basement into a studio uh, because I, I, I'm just, I'm a doer kind of girl, you know what I mean? I need to like constantly be doing something, otherwise I, I get bored really quickly. So I decided what can I do to help the network or to, you know, because it was such uncertain time, especially in the beginning of March. What can I do? Everybody's sitting at home, um, you know, twiddling with their fingers. And hairdressers are not good still, still sitters. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to start sharing some of my techniques. So the first four months, I worked around the clock <laughs> creating um, programs. Uh, I also launched my collection on Earth Month of Earth Day um, and, and, and created collections around it. Uh, I did uh, things like I did about four or five different seminars of 90 minutes each and uh, somewhere in styling, somewhere like being on set with Antoinette, like really trying to share techniques that I use, you know, normally on a daily basis, whether I'm on a shoot or on a show 
or just styling techniques. And then I, then as the pandemic progressed, I thought, okay, I've done four or five on that. What can I do next? And then I decided, well, nobody was allowed to blow dry at one point. So I did a whole series on uh, hairstyle or hairstyling without using a blow dryer. Mm -hmm. And that was really interesting. And what's happening now that originally was done kind of more for North America, but now that's trickling into the rest of the world. So every Monday, practically, um, very early in the morning, I'm standing here in front of my wall with my Aveda products, <laughs> demonstrating and, um, you know, sharing my techniques globally. And it's quite fascinating. Like this virtual world has really come at me like a steam train. Um, you know, I was, I was kind of a little active on Instagram, but um, doing shows on, you know, virtually, that's a whole other story. So I did something with uh, Sam Via for the PBA earlier in the season. And yeah, so every day I come downstairs and instead of my office being somewhere else, it's downstairs now in the basement. <laughs> so you And I have to say, I quite like it. <laughs> <laughs> You're getting used to it. Yeah, I quite like it. I get to see the weather. I get to spend time with my doggies and, you know, um, it's nice. I, I Honestly, I don't dislike it. I just miss traveling and connecting yeah. physically with people. Do you know what I mean? That's the hardest, I think. Yeah, I was going to say, but, I uh, mean, you went from stage and classes, you know, in front of people to such a tech heavy um, I mean, our, everyone's industry right now is very tech heavy with everything being virtual. How was that for you? Mm -hmm. The very well, it's interesting actually, Philip, because the first time I did my first Instagram interview, I was so nervous. I remember it was Tate Neil for his Elevate program, mm. and uh, I didn't even know how to connect. And here, four <laughs> or five months later, I've got two talk shows one on Tuesdays for Alveda Artist, you know, uh, The Scoop, and then one on my channel on Fridays called BTS. Uh, and it's funny how quickly you take to it. Yeah. The other thing that I found very strange is the first time I did a virtual seminar um, that you don't have any feedback straight away. You know, you, yeah. you, you, you do your thing, but you, it kind of feels like you're doing it to yourself because yeah. <laughs> all you see is this tiny little lit, lit up dot on your computer. <laughs> and that could be like thousands of people behind that. It's bizarre. It really is bizarre. But, um, you know, and that's why it's so important. Another thing I've learned for, for those of your listeners who are, um, you know, who watch seminars and stuff, what's really uh, quite helpful for people that are presenting is to kind of put some comments in the chat box. Yes. Mm -hmm. I know it can be a little bit scary, but it really adds to the connection. And I welcome that a lot. I really do. Even if sometimes it's, if it's just to say where you're from or what salon you're from, or it's just nice to know he's on the other side of that lit up dot, you know? Yeah. I've done several classes online and meetings and things like that. And it is, you're just, you feel like you're talking to yourself and then there's not a lot, of, like you said, immediate feedback. Usually in person, you look to see what, pe how people are reacting and you don't get that luxury teaching online sometimes. Especially if you crack a joke. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and it's, it's, and also I always, I'm, I'm very sensitive to the vibe of the room, you know, yes. mm -hmm. when you walk on stage somewhere, you instantly can kind of tell where the audience are at. Are they into it? Are they not into it? You know, do I need to go the funny route? Do I need to go the serious route? Yeah. You know, it's all these things that I was, I learned over the years and um, you don't have that virtually. 
there are so many fantastic interviews out there that highlight um, all your successes along the way of your career. Um, I don't want to spend the mm-hmm. bulk of our time there. However, I do think it's important to acknowledge your journey and celebrate some of the things that you've done along the way. So take us back to where it all started and um, give us a little highlight reel of your accomplishments throughout your career. Oh, Okay. Well, I shall try. Um, like I said, I've been in the industry, I think, for 40 years now. I just realized that, which is kind of somewhat scary, but also quite enlightening because it realizes I've done a few things. So how do I turn 40 years into a synopsis? I'm going to have a, try, a go at it, okay? <laughs> so I started when I was 14 um, as a Saturday girl in the Netherlands. I'm originally Dutch, and I come from a family with terrible hair. Like really fine, nice Scandi hair. And my mom used to go to the hair salon every Saturday. And, uh, you know, and I, she said, she said, can my daughter work here on Saturdays? And and basically that's what I ended up doing. I ended up like making coffees and sweeping the floor. And I really loved it. I really enjoyed it. And that kind of progressed into, you know, I still was at school. So by the time I was 16, I was allowed to go one day a week to a hairdressing college. And then I work four days a week in in a salon. So I did that. Uh, I was always quite quick with things because when I put my mind to something, uh, I get kind of quite tunnel focused and go for it. Um, and so by the time I was 18, my manager in the salon went on holiday. And uh, while she was away, I did double the takings. She put me in charge. <laughs> <laughs> so when she came back, they made me the manager, which was quite odd at such a young <laughs> age. But I had a lot of um, you know enthusiasm and still have. I, I I love doing hair. I love being with people, um, you know, and I think if you add a bit of technique to that, you know, you've got quite a good formula to work in a hair salon. Um, so by the time, but I also realized, you know, I was in the Netherlands and I, I wanted to do, I wanted to have a career in hairdressing. I love being a salon hairdresser, but I also wanted to travel and see the world and, 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 and do other things, you know, and I'm always very attracted to art. My father was a photographer uh, my mom was a, an accountant, funny enough, and I, I think I'm the perfect balance between art and, and business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and not many people know that of me, but, um, you know, I suppose I had to to survive in this industry for such a long time. Yeah. But anyway, when I was 20, I decided to move to London because London was the epicenter of, of world's hairdressing. Trevor Sorby had just won, you know, for the third time British Hairdresser of the Year. And I thought, I really want to see if I can work with someone like that, you know, because I, I strongly believe that if you want to have a career in whatever it choose that you do, you know, surround yourself with the best people that you can. And at that time, it was Trevor Sorby. So I just moved to London. And the first time, um, funny enough, I did it twice, because the first time I went there, and I said to Trevor, I want to come and work for you. And I didn't speak any English. Well, very broken English, you know, like, hello, yeah, I live in a house with four windows. That was about <laughs> all I could say. <laughs> and then and then Trevor said, well, thank you, but no, thank you. So he sent me back to Holland. And I thought, you know what, Trevor Sorby, I'm going to work for you whether you like it or not. <laughs> and that's really, it's like the true, the true Antoinette Binder's inner kind of vibe, you know. If you mm-hmm. give me a challenge, I'm on it like a rash. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I decided six months later, I thought, I'm just going to move to London. And he's going to take me on. So I went over there again and I said, he said, oh, I recognize you. You've been here before, haven't you? And I said, yes, and I'm not leaving. <laughs> you should have seen his face. <laughs> so um, so he said, but OK, he said, what well, what you do then is I'm going to make you a junior. You're going to go and work in our institute as an assistant. 
and then we'll retrain you. And then if you pass your test, I'll give you a month. If you pass the test, then you uh, stay. And if you don't pass the test, we send you back to Holland. And I said, yeah, challenge taken. And that's what I did. Nice. So, uh, and then I was obviously, you know, I was the one working, you know, 24-7, especially when I was a junior. I, I mean, and bearing in mind, I was a manager, okay, manager, earning quite nice living with my parents and home, having a very comfortable lifestyle. To going to London to becoming an assistant, I couldn't even afford my rent. Wow. My parents had to supply <laughs> some cash the first couple of years <laughs> of me being there, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm forever grateful. But, um, yeah, that, it was a big step back, but it was the best decision I ever made, really, because once I got there, I really felt like I came home, you know. Mm-hmm. I felt like there was a belonging there. And uh, I stood outside Topshop, which is like a fashion shop on Oxford Circus. Mm-hmm. I stood outside there every day till 11 o'clock at night asking people if they wanted a free haircut to get models. And I think that's why also my eyes start being trained, you know, in choosing models. Mm-hmm. And that really, um, you know, helped me later on in doing campaigns and doing model calls for shows and all the Aveda campaigns for over 15 years. So, yeah. So from, from, from that early humble beginning in London, I then, you know, kept working, working, working. I was always there. And um, I then started, you know, I became a salon stylist. Then, um, again, because I was so keen and enthusiastic, Trevor used to take me on some of his shows. I start, you know, entering for the awards, which I always think is a really good thing for anyone to do because it, it pushes you to try and take you to, you know, the next level. Mm-hmm. I started getting uh, recognized by the Bridge Hedgesing Awards. I was a finalist for Newcomer in 92, I think it was. Then I won my first hair award in London, Avant-Garde Hairdresser of the Year in 95. Then I won uh, London Hairdresser of the Year in 96, 97. And then Aveda started, Aveda came to London. And at this stage, I'd worked with Trevor for over 10 years. And, you know, he was a bit like my dad. You know, we traveled everywhere together, shows all over the world, and I mean, I was so lucky to have that mentor. You know, he taught me how to work on stage, how to prepare for shows, how to be on TV. Um, I also, we had a huge, I mean, this is one of the biggest salons in the world at the time, or the most famous ones. We used to do celebrities, you name it, we've done it. Uh, all the fashion shows, London, Paris, New York, Milan. Um, so I had a really good base to kind of start and go kind of under my own merit. So when Aveda came knocking on the door, I uh, and they were going to open a salon in Harvey Nichols, which is one of the, the most prestigious um, department stores in London at that time. Mm. It's a bit like the Bergdorf Goodman in New York. Mm. You know, Harvey mm. Nichols was that in London. Yeah. And uh, when they said, we're going to open Aveda, and I had never heard. Well, I heard of it through the editorial side. I played with some of the products and I, I was quite, in, you know, intrigued by it. But I'd never heard of Horst or anything. And in 97, Horse came to London to look for talent. And I was introduced to him. And uh, not knowing who he was, I was pretty frank. I said, he said, well, what about you come to America? I said, I don't think so. I've been traveling <laughs> the last five years every weekend all over the world. I want to stay home for a bit. And he said, OK. He said, what about this? He said, why don't you work on opening the salon here in Harvey Nichols for Aveda? And, um, and then now and then we'll fly you to Minneapolis and you do some shows for us. And that's how my Aveda love affair started. Mm-hmm. So in 97, I joined Aveda. Um, I came to Minneapolis. And I, I never forget that. I did my first Master Jam. And uh, Ginger Boy was in the audience with Horst. 
And she said to horse, don't let her go. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> 2020, I'm still there. <laughs> so did um, you do anyway, a collection that year or was that just your first year doing a Master Jam? No, no, that was just uh, the first appearance at Master Jam. I, when we used to do the Master Jams at the uh, Institute here in Minneapolis. Yes. I, and what I used to do, I used to kind of fly in and out, you know, come here, do a show, go back to London. And um, and then the distributorship, you know, um, I started doing it for distributors in, in the U.S. and around the world. Because at that point, you know, I was an award-winning hairdresser already. I had already built my own name up. And I just took Aveda, who was brand new for, for the UK and most of the international world. And I started working with them and promoting Aveda. I love that. I ask because in 1997, um, at my school I went to, had show and tell. And my mother has owned Aveda salons my whole life. And I brought in to show and tell the Aveda collection. I brought for show and tell the posters and the books that my mom had in her salon, because I know what you mean, that imagery that you're so attracted to that Aveda had at that time and today. But Aveda had such a unique look. Mm-hmm. Even at that young age, I didn't know what Aveda was, but I knew I loved the images. So it, it's so funny. My third grade teacher talks about it now that um, I work for the company that I brought posters of in third grade for show, tell, show and tell. Isn't that cute? That's cute. I know. You know what? It's so interesting, though, because for some reason, I mean, I've always said this. Aveda is not just a beauty brand. It's it's a calling, I always say. It's not mm-hmm. a, a, a bottle on the shelf. It's like a lifestyle, you know, and it always will be. And when you meet people that work with Aveda or have worked for Aveda, we're kind of our own unique crowd. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's it's really interesting. You kind of spot them a mile away, and there's this real true, I don't know, it's like, how can I explain it? it? I can't even put it into work. But it's this very much caring for each other, looking out for each other, uh, helping each other. And I never found that anywhere else before I joined Aveda. Mm-hmm. So for me, Aveda is my family. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I'm as close to Aveda as, as my mom and dad, you know, mm-hmm. and my, my brother and my cousins and what have you. But, um, yeah, so that was, the, the like I said, the beginning of the love affair. And then in 99, I started getting nominated for some really big awards like British Headers of the Year. I became Fellowship Headdresser of the Year, which was Fellowship Headdresser of the Year is a really big deal in the UK. It's, um, they have, it's not, I wouldn't call it a union, but it's like, a, it's a bit like the PBA, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, but the fellowship, I think, has been going a lot longer. And they have their own hairdressing awards. And I won that twice as the only female ever. So I'm pretty proud of that. And the other thing, uh, one of the things to notice, like in the 90s, there were not many girls, um, you know, winning awards in the hair industry. Mm -hmm. It was predominantly male. And, you know, I've got nothing against that. But it was quite interesting that here was me, my, you know, little Dutch girl from Harlem in the Netherlands, (laughs) like kicking at everybody's butts, you know, (laughs) Uh, because I was enthusiastic and I worked hard. So then finally, you know, in 2006, I became British Hairdresser of the Year. I, and I think I've been nominated all in all over 10 times. Um, in 2005, I was approached by um, uh, Dominique Conseil, our previous president of Aveda, uh, mm-hmm. to become the creative director for the brand. 
Uh, and he wanted me to move to New York, which was a very big one because I'd said no to horse to move into America. Mm. But Dominique managed to make me, um, you know, to make me come over. So that was great. And for the first three years, I, I worked between London and New York. I used to do three weeks New York, three weeks London, three weeks New York, three weeks London. Wow. But what I didn't anticipate was to, to as a creative director for a global corporate brand and an Estee Lauder brand, I had to, it was more than just hair, you know, I had to learn how to do store design. I had to learn how to do official merchandising, how to, I mean, pictures were always near and dear to me because I've been in, you know, an editorial hairdresser, you know, daughter of a photographer for most of my life. But um, there's all other stuff I had to learn, you know, how to approve copywriting, how to come up with campaigns, how to, how to sell a product, you know, all that stuff. So I kind of started a brand new career in 2005 by becoming the Aveda creative director. I and uh, I ended up having over 31, 32 people uh, directly um, reporting to me, um, in, which was another thing. You know, I've, I've had hair teams and stuff, but I never had corporate creative teams. And then, of course, they become part of the bigger picture at Estee Lauder. But it was great because I learned a lot. They taught me a lot about business. They taught me a lot about lots of other things. I was very – another highlight of my life. I was very fortunate to uh, – um, be part of the Leonard Lauder. Um, um, how could, how can I call it? It's like a special training course he does mm. uh, once a year, and only twenty people are invited from the entire company, and I was one of them. And we hit it off very well, so he took me under his his wing. And uh, yeah, so it's been a phenomenal ride. I I've been extremely lucky. Well, lucky I've worked hard, <laughs> and I still mm-hmm. work hard on yes. a daily basis. And then last year, I decided, you know what, I've, I've done all that. I've done this corporate creative director job now for over 14 years. I think it's time for me to get back into the industry a bit more because although I enjoy doing it, it took me away more from the things that I'm very passionate about, which is obviously our network and our industry. So last year, I decided to, um, to make a lateral move and become the SVP Global Professional Artistry. And uh, yeah, and that's what I do today. So my job today is um, is really being right back into the industry. Um, I just found out I was uh, a finalist for British Headrest of the Year again in the international collection site, nice. <laughs> which was quite fun. Thank you. So I, I find like I'm kind of going back to the start again, <laughs> which is really interesting. But that's what they say, isn't it? Your, your career kind of goes in, in circles. Yeah. So, yeah, so it's, it's you know, I'm in a really good spot and I love what I do. And having so much knowledge and experience under my belt now, um, you know, it's it's time for me to start mentoring more. And, you know, and it really enjoy what I why I came into the industry in the first place. Yeah. And I love so, when yeah, you so- talked about how. Dominique, part of the reason he wanted you specifically in that role is to have eyes of a hairdresser looking at Aveda's yeah. business. So talk to us a little bit more about that. Yeah. So I'm the, uh, I'm part of the Aveda leadership team, which is only about 10, 12 people. And, um, and Dominique put me in there first and foremost, because he, he always wanted someone in there, and Barbara does too. Uh, he always wanted someone in there that would look at a, a, a product or a launch from a hairdresser's point of view. So, um, you know, I will sit in meetings and, you know, and then they do their presentations and I go, well, 
not sure if a hairdresser would like that. And they go, oh, why not? And then I'll explain it. And then they will twist it into or twist it or they'll make it into a hairdresser, you know, what they would like. Mm-hmm. Or, um, you know, or sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't work. And then we go back to the drawing board. But, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's really important because I don't think any other manufacturer, because at the end of the day, that's what Aveda is. It's a manufacturing mm-hmm. company, um, has, um, you know, an end benefit user in their boardroom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. which I think is quite interesting. And so, how, so yeah, important, it was a good move. too. Yeah, that's great. That's great. I, yeah, I, I, I think so, Jessica, and I'm glad you think so, too. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's very interesting. So, you know, I get to hear about everything from the numbers to the marketing to all the plans to the strategies. I've worked on the strategy for Aveda for many years. Um, so, yeah, it's... Uh, it's a different thing, but it's it's like I said. I've been very lucky. I've been trained a lot in the creative and also a lot in the business. So I yeah. I can understand where the corporate side wants to come from, and I can understand where the network wants to come from. And I think I'm this perfect balance in the middle that can translate each other. You know, amazing. I think that's my job, a translator. I like oh, that. That's good. <laughs> Add that to the five word title. Right. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so Antoinette of, of everything you've done, all the shoots, uh, campaigns, mm-hmm. shows, mm-hmm. what, what's one that sticks out? What's maybe your, I don't, I don't want to say pick a favorite. It's like picking a favorite kid. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe something memorable from a show or an event. Oh, I mean, I have to say Congress obviously stands out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, God, we had some amazing. I mean, I have to say, you know, when Congress comes around the corner, I work on it for six months of the year. Mm-hmm. And I remember doing my circus show. I think that's one of the standouts. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I try to really combine a different thing where I try to create, you know, in the past I always did hair and fashion, but I realized for the evening performance, I put no, I, I put emphasis on the word performance that time. And I literally, it was the first time where I combined um, fashion because I always, fashion is in my blood and, and performance. And I, I actually was very lucky to work with the people from Cirque du Soleil. So I bought the Cirque du Soleil artist and mixed them with the fashion crowd, which the first time round was a really weird thing <laughs> because if you think about all the professional models they're like five foot eleven six foot and then you have at the same time you know you got about 25 models that are very tall ladies and then you got about you know 15 20 performers and they're notoriously much shorter more my height like five five you know five mm-hmm. six yeah. and it was so funny introducing them to each other because i wanted to kind of have fashion <laughs> catwalk with performance you know some <laughs> act through it and it's so bizarre because the, the 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 performers first were very intimidated by the models because they were so tall and so beautiful and but then the models were really intimidated by the performers because they did such amazing things mm-hmm. so it was a really interesting combination and it didn't sink into me until the day of the show you know when the, when it all came together mm-hmm. and i think that was the first time when it was super magic um, so that stands out for me. Yeah. Another thing that stands out for me from a photo shoot point of view, um, going to Nepal for the first time. Um, oh, yeah. When we, uh, you know, when we used to, um, I used to go to Nepal every year for about seven years to photograph the uh, holiday campaign. Mm-hmm. And the very first time I was, um, we have a, somebody in the company called David Hercock, and he is a phenomenal man. He's got 
all the contacts uh, in these faraway countries, you know, where we raise money for Earthmom for. And he said, we need to go to Nepal. I want you to come and see how people make this beautiful locked paper. Mm-hmm. I said, okay. And he said, then you can photograph it. I'm like, all right, so let's go to Nepal, do a photo shoot, bring no model and just use a person from there. Well, I don't know what possessed me to do that, but I got there and then I had to get on a little mini plane in the middle of nowhere. And it was just literally three months after the war had ended there. Mm. And um, literally I arrived. I mean, the journey by itself was quite incredible. Mm-hmm. And then the first night I had to sleep. He said, oh, don't worry. I said, where are we going to sleep? He said, oh, don't worry. We're going to sleep in a palace. And I'm like, I'm thinking, you know, I was spoiled at that point. Palace, that sounds good. So I get there. And it was a palace made out of dung, cow dung. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh I am God. not joking. And honestly, that was not, it was like more like a, a mud hut kind of situation. Uh-huh. There was no water, no kitchen. We had to get the water out of the river and then fil- boil it and filter it. Oh my I mean, wow. going back into time, it was yeah. unbelievable. But that was the beginning of the journey. Then the next two days, he said, what we're going to do, we're going to just walk um, to this village where the where the ladies work that made the paper. But what they didn't tell me, it was two mountains further <laughs> down the road. So honestly, I mean, it was phenomenal. I mean, it was scary because I've never done anything like it in my life. Uh-huh. But it was probably the best lesson of life I'd ever, ever um, you know, had ever gone to. And when we got there, there were like hundreds. Can you imagine walking for two days over two mountains? Oh and gosh. then you get there and there's like hundreds of people <laughs> waiting for you to get there. It was wow. all in traditional wow. dress. I mean, it was oh, phenomenal. Cool. And then my husband who came with me, he's a photographer. He, um, you know, my dad given him his old Polaroid cameras. So we decided to start taking pictures. So, you know, like just as a private project on the side, because mm-hmm. they were so fun phenomenal looking these people i've never seen anything like it so we shot a campaign and then we decided to uh, to start doing pictures well these people never t- seen a photograph before oh wow. oh wow so um we took a picture we took two polaroids and then we gave them one and we kept one for ourselves and honestly and when you take a picture of someone who's never had a picture taken they don't pose so they just look at this like weird little box you know that's camera and i it, honestly i have some some of these Polaroids, I must put them on the, well, if my husband allows it, on my Instagram one day, because it was really, really super special. Talk about Nat Geo, you know, yeah. it was very much like that. Please and do share thing, those, because a lot of people yeah, will no, never have to. that experience. I, you know, I don't yeah. anticipate ever yeah. meeting someone who's never seen a picture. That's a really unique experience. Yeah, I, I mean, I think they're that good. It's worthy of an exhibition, to be honest. Yeah. It's, honestly, yeah. they're quite phenomenal. But um, the other amazing experience, and again, Nepal is very close to my heart because, again, I've had so many amazing experiences there, was uh, another year we went up to Nepal to shoot the holiday campaign. And, um, you know, we wanted to have snow in the picture. Now, as you know, because of global warming, the the snow Mm. line in the Himalayas was going higher and higher Mm. because, um, you know, global warming. So... uh, I knew at this stage I had to climb a few mountains because, <laughs> you know, I'd been before, I wasn't stupid. So uh, so we walked for two, three days and we walked with a whole gang of the Nepali people and they're the most nice, the nicest people I ever meet. And um, at this stage we brought the people, you know, we were going to photograph. We did kind of a mini casting at the plant, you know, where they do the paper and then we're going to go up to the snow line to take the pictures. And we get there and there is no snow. Uh-oh. I'm like, oh, I can't have just flown all the way around the world, tri- 
track mm -hmm. three three mountains or three days and there's no snow. They said, you know what? We'll send like someone out a little bit higher up to see if um, if there's snow. So the person ran out. Well, they run up there. I don't know how they do it, but they run up there. And uh, came back, yeah, yeah, I found snow, found snow. So the next morning, the whole lot, all trekking further up the mountain, oh and there gosh. is a patch of snow. I, I, Honestly, it's like one square meter of ice. <laughs> it's not even snow. And I'm like, there's no way I can shoot the campaign here. And at this point, I'm on top of a mountain, okay, with, with children, with people, with everybody that's needed. Wow. And suddenly, and I've never seen anything like it. It was the scariest thing ever. The sky went jet black. And suddenly the Nepali people start building a little tent and start all huddling under this tarpaulin. And I'm like, something bad is about to happen. Mm -hmm. I could feel it in my blood, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, I said, you know what? Let's just go back to our camp because this is not safe. And you know what? No campaign is worth like yeah. this. This is not mm -hmm. worth it. So I said, I'll figure it out when I get home. We'll just do something else. So um, we started running back down the mountain. And as I started running... Um, it started hailing, but I but hailing so much that it was like tiny little polystyrene balls, and they were like a meter deep, you know. Wow. So we were running. It was like running through these polystyrene balls, but it was hail, and it was like, oh, this is crazy. We need to get to the camp so we're a little bit more sheltered and we're safe. And so we finally made it to the camp, and I thought, you know what? And it was funny, you know, as I would run down the mountain, i never forget it. It's so clear. It was like a calling. He said, you know what, if you can do, you can do anything. It was so weird. It was like something like the, the, the universe said to me, you can do anything. You can make it happen. And I thought, okay, if there's enough little hail bits, it looks like snow, then mm -hmm. I can maybe do a shoot when I get to the camp <laughs> in, the, in the storm. Wow. I know, I'm crazy. So I got to the camp and it was just not safe enough. And I said to my husband, okay, let's just all go to bed. And we're all like camping, right? There's no hotels there. It's camping mm -hmm. in the middle of nowhere. It was minus 10 Celsius, which is about, well, Ooh. 10 or something yeah. or 20. I don't know. It's cold, freezing. We're in a tent. And at night, you know, you hear it crackling of the eyes outside. Anyway, I woke up the next morning and guess what? There was a three foot of snow. Aww. Can you believe that? Wow. Three foot of snow. We, I said, everybody... Don't even brush your teeth. Let's shoot this thing now. <laughs> we shot it in 20 minutes. Guess wow. what? 20 minutes later, the snow had melted. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Can wow. you believe it? That's the stars. That's incredible. Like, was, for, I know. Unbelievable. For anyone that thinks uh, your job is so glamorous and <laughs> high end, I mean, cow, cow dung palace, three day hike just to shoot and have to turn around. That's incredible. Yeah. Oh, and then let me let me add a little onto that. So in the Kaodong Palace, on the way back, obviously we had to sleep in the Kaodong Palace before. Again, we got <laughs> locked in because the the plane wouldn't come, and it's not like you know you're waiting for Delta Airlines to you know land. No, it's like a mini plane yeah. from the government. But the weather was so bad, so we got stuck in the Kaodong Palace for four days. At this point, I haven't had a shower for a week. I'm, I'm stinky. The whole crew's stinky. And I'm like, but what I did have was all those Aveda gift sets. Oh, so yeah. I decided to wash everybody's hair. Nice. <laughs> Including all the porters, everybody's hair I washed. And I tell you what, it felt so amazing. So nice. It was so great to have clean hair. And everybody was so appreciative because, like, oh, my God, you made us feel so good. And I'm like, well, that's Aveda for you. <laughs> That's beautiful. But, yeah, that was fun. It was really fun. But 
and also, you know what? That cow dung palace stunk so bad. I put some of these candles out. You couldn't even smell the candles. Oh, my gosh. Wow. What a so, special yeah, anyway. experience. Yeah. that I have had, had a few of those. I bet. Fantastic. So speaking of like planning and, and, and going into events and of course, Congress, Congress is supposed mm-hmm. to be this month, but of course, because of the global pandemic, it got yeah. pushed back. Um, so I know you yeah. can't say what you were going to plan, but maybe tell us a, just a little bit about um, what for you goes into the process of planning something like that. You said you spend about six months. Yeah, that's right. Well, it, it, it kind of takes on takes over my life let me put it that way when I do an evening performance because you know everybody does an amazing show during the day and, it, and I'm so proud of everyone you know the artistic teams mm. and all the guest artists you know you know nobody gets on that stage that is not worthy of being on stage yeah. so um so so when it comes to the evening performance you know people expect a lot yeah. and I'm partly self to blame <laughs> but it also gives more pressure on me every year I do it you know like what can I come up this year and what can I do so it's a process that kind of it started like how I started with campaigns and collections it's a similar process only this is the live version and photographs on the still version um what I do is I collect a ton of pictures every day when I see something that I like Mm um I put it in my phone whether it's a word, whether it's uh, a picture, whether it's a video. And now with Instagram, it's easier because you can make all these separate folders. Um, in, in the early days, I used to cut out pictures and just stick them on a mood board, you know. Mm-hmm. And it, it, I'm a bit like a sponge kind of person. I will go everywhere and anywhere and I pick up little bits. Oh, I was over there and oh, I saw that and it was kind of cute. Oh, I saw this girl walking in London with these really fun shoes on. Let's take a quick picture. You know, all these things. Every, everywhere I go, I take pictures. And um, they go in my phone. And then when it comes to Congress, we, we find out the theme because we, you know, uh, we decide as with Kevin Molan and with Barbara, we decide on the theme. And then I start looking into these thousands of pictures and I start creating. Uh, and it's funny, when you collect all these things, you, you found there's like themes within the in your picture. So I start putting them in buckets. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I end up with 10, 15 buckets. Then we start adding the theme. And then very clearly you can see which bucket works within the theme and which bucket doesn't. Mm-hmm. I normally do about five sections um, with one or two live demos. So I know they're always in and I always try to like, say, how can I do a demo differently this time? Or how can I add that? Or how can I add that? And of course, now with all this new incredible, you know, digital experience and, you know, I'm, I'm obviously looking into the technology side last year of, not last year, it was the year before me, um, on Congress, I started tapping into that where I created the opening of the evening performance was a whole digitized story, mm-hmm. um, um, which was all around, you know, I, I, it started off with like, where would horse be right now? And it's funny, I actually get quite emotional talking about it. Um, it's like, what, what, you know, I was thinking, where is horse right now? What's the world that horse would be in right now? And that's, how I came up with the opening performance, because um, as we had a very big shift in in leadership that year, um, I wanted to make sure that the network knew that it didn't really matter. You know, we were still, you know, the people that matter were still there. Do you know what I mean? And uh, and that's why for me, I really wanted to bring horse to the forefront in in this opening and, and really sharing, you know, with our Veda network, what we're all about. And that's how that came about. 
And then, um, you know, the whole thing on technology, you know, I, I did a lot last time I worked a lot with a company in London that did all these very technical things. I actually had a lot of tricks in my show that didn't even work. Five of the things that I come up with <laughs> didn't even work. Yeah. And I was like really bummed about it. Um, but yeah, it was, yeah, it was annoying. You know, sometimes that happens in the show. Yeah. Um, because the more technical stuff there is, the harder it is to pull off. Yep. But, you know, I remember the butterflies, you know, the girl pressing the butt. The, 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 and again, the butterflies was a thing for Horst, you know, mm-hmm. uh, because he used to love butterflies. Um, so the butterfly hairpiece where she pressed the button and the butterfly started to, to you know, started to um, to fly off the hairpiece. And then that was animated uh, in the background with video while simultaneously you know, I really wanted the audience to be close because it was our 40th anniversary. Mm-hmm. Uh, they all got a birthday card because, like I said in the um, in the show, you know, it's everybody's birthday because we are all a Veda. Yeah. yeah. Was that there um, was and something then the butterfly flew out? Was that was that? And there was something under our seats, right? That's right. Yeah. Yes. There was an envelope stuck yeah. under your seat. Yes. And uh, when the butterfly girl walked out with a butterfly hairpiece, and also the whole show I had narrated. So it was a story. The story. It was the story of Aveda, um, and uh, God, it's a, it's a little while back now. So I'm going back in time here. But um, as as the butterfly headpiece was flying off, um, everybody, I, I narrated it in a way where the people could like pull this cart underneath from the seat and open it up, and there was like "Happy Birthday" um, in it. And then a butterfly flew out mm-hmm. of oh, their yeah. cart. So. Yeah. So the model's headdress was butterflies coming off, and you all the you know four thousand cards in the audience, <laughs> the butterflies went off. So, and I really love the, the the like the connection, you know, the interaction with that. Um, yeah, it was pretty magic. And there was something else that I was was going to say. Uh, oh yeah, those cards. Oh my god, I need to tell you the story about that. So we put all those cards on because they were like a 4,000 cards. That's like mm-hmm. two yeah. shopping trolleys full of cards. <laughs> so Wendy Rose, for those of you who remember mm-hmm. Wendy Rose, mm-hmm. she's a super trooper and she was uh, she always helps me my team. She said, don't worry, Antoinette, I'll take care of it. So like nine, 10 o'clock at night after the last rehearsal was done, she said, I will go in there and I'll put all those cards underneath the seats oh, with wow. a team That's of her. people. So she did. She put them all under, you know, with, we had some of that double-sided tape to stick them on there. We get to, the, uh, we go home at 11, 12 o'clock midnight because it's always very late nights, the nights before. And we get there at 6 a.m. the next morning to start working on um, our show. And we, we, we Wendy, Wendy runs into the auditorium because there's no one there yet and decides to um, have a look to see if the carts are still up there. And guess what? All the carts had fallen down. Oh, no. Oh. Oh my God, we both cried tears. We were like, oh no. But you know what? The trooper that she is, she got a team together and got them back on there again. So they had to all be restuck under there. I know. But you know what? It was so worth it because the moment Mm -hmm. was so magic. And I really wanted something for the audience to have to walk away with a special memory, you know, of, of the 40th. And that was that moment in my show. So yeah, it was a pretty emotional show. But there were things that didn't work out. You know, I had this whole cool thing with the screen and 
the lighting wasn't right and oh you know i can go on and on and on actually i'm still annoyed about it and it's three years ago <laughs> <laughs> but you know what next year it's not gonna have it's not we're not gonna have that you know yep. we're gonna nope. make sure That's that right. so i love that it, we're just gonna make it better and then the tricks that did happen i can do them you know exactly. so some, some you ammunition go. in my pocket <laughs> i love that well, Antoinette, talk to us a little bit about what's next for you. What's next for Aveda? Um, what does the future look like? You know, it's it's really good. It's a great question. I mean, I think when you, I was thinking about this because obviously I had a feeling something like this was coming, <laughs> um, and I, I thought, you know what? It's we're in such weird times. I, I would hate to say we're going to do this or we're going to do that because. To be honest with you, I just take every day at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, um, we're in a we're in a, in like we're in a digital revolution. We're in a pandemic. I mean, you can't make it up. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and it's not just America; it's global. You know, so mm-hmm. it's it's kind of a really weird thing. I mean, thinking about, I haven't seen my family for a year now, mm. and it's it's really starting to affect me. So. If you think, if you ask me, what's the future? I want to go and spend some time with my family. Mm-hmm. Nice. Number one. Um, of course, you know, supporting the network. Yes. Um, I think Aveda has, you know, Aveda is such a rock solid company yeah. backed by an even more rock solid company as their Um, you know, that I, I, I have great faith in Aveda, you know, moving forward into the future under the leadership of Barbara Delaire, you know, she's so full on on digital and mm-hmm. new experiences, you know, she, so I'm, I'm, I'm completely confident about the future of the brand. I'm not worried about that at all. I think if not, we, and you can already see things that I have like botanical repair, neutroplenish, yes. you know, we, we're actually made more progress with our technology and plant power and plant knowledge than we've ever done. So I, I feel very, I'm, I'm very optimistic on that. I think we can't go wrong. Yeah. And there's so many opportunities that we as a network have, you know, with our product. So I'm not worried about that. Um, when it comes to our industry, again, you know, things are weird right now. Yeah. People, you know, I know in Ireland, for instance, people are shut down again, oh. you know. So I just hope this pandemic goes away real soon, as soon as possible. Yes. So. And and then we can get on with our new normal because I don't think we'll ever go back to the way it used to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's all up to us to make it, you know, to use it to our own benefit. Yeah. I'm not scared of it. I think it can it can help us. But I, one thing I hope that we keep the the human side to things. You know, yes. I'm looking more in a grander kind of top level scale. Um, of course, I'm extremely passionate about our network and. Our hairdressers are fifty thousand artists in our in our mm-hmm. network. So for me, the care factor is huge. That's my number one thing. Yeah. Hence, I started the scoop, you know, on Tuesdays at the Veda Artists to really get the get the network a little get to like a bit like you guys get to know the people a little bit more behind what's going on. Yeah, and that's why I started the scoop. I was sitting at home here one day and I thought, wouldn't it be nice if we got to find out a bit more about Ricardo or about Kenneth Dawson, who did a killer job at the Texture Jam, mm-hmm. or you know, or get introduce some new people, you know, in our network, and that's why the scoop started. And then I realized, well, okay, because I have so many facets to what I do, why don't I do something similar? Why don't I introduce my followers, which is predominantly Aveda? Um, why don't I introduce them to all those amazing people I've worked with? You know, the photographers and the models and the makeup artists. So that's how the BTS, you know, behind the scenes came about. Mm-hmm. And that's every Friday, also 4 p.m. Eastern time 
uh, on my channel at Antoinette Beaners at Instagram. And the scoop for those of you that haven't seen it, I heavily recommend you watch it because it's real fun. And it's only 30 minutes. Yeah, it's a great um, one. They're fantastic. It's, and they're lighthearted yeah. and fun. Yeah. Um, it yeah. does feel, again, kind of like you're just hanging out. Like we're just hanging out in the living room, getting to know each other. They're really fun. Yeah. So I think from a connection point of view, we make progress. But yeah, I mean, listen, I can't wait to see people in person. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely. Including yourselves. Right. <laughs> yeah. be, nice, yes. be nice to go and have a real cup of coffee. Yeah. Exactly. Together, you know? Well, Antoinette, before we let you go, um, we like to do a rapid fire question where we, with every guest and we all answer, uh, where we enter okay. random question into Google and it just spits out uh, a question. So we're going to go through three oh, of okay. these, yep. whatever Google wants to okay. know. So the right. first okay. one Google asks is, what is your favorite piece of technology you own? My phone. <laughs> yeah. I can't live without my phone. Right. Richie, if I don't have my phone, I, I don't think I could function anymore. I love that. What about you, Jess? Um, I think mine is, it's called a Nest. It's the thermostat in our house and it's hooked mm-hmm. up to my phone. So I can be laying in bed and click the temperature up a little, click it down. Um, yeah. Before you come home, you can change it. So I think it's that. Nice. What about you? Uh, mine, I'd probably say... <laughs> silly but my wireless phone charger i just oh. set it down next to my bed and it charges it's so simple i love that that's awesome um all right next question great. what is your biggest guilty pleasure oh biggest guilty pleasure as in food or as in could be anything anything we love food oh, here, so well, that's I'm, acceptable. Yeah, I know. Well, I, I've got two, and i got one for food, guilty pleasure, and I've got one for personal. I have to say, I love a good foot massage. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love a good foot massage, and I think it's years and years standing on my feet. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, wherever, yeah. where, whenever we do Fashion Week, um, at the end of Fashion Week, I take my entire team. It's another actually fun thing to find out. I take my entire team, go to Chinatown, and we all, I take them all for a foot massage. I love nice. that. Nice. And, we, and, we, and uh, we have a dinner and then we have a foot massage. It's fantastic. I love it. That's awesome. Fantastic. What about you, Jess? Um, a dry red wine and a dark chocolate. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I like that too. That sounds that really good. Yeah. What about you, Phil? Um, I think mine, I love uh, short documentaries on YouTube. You do. Yeah, you watch those yeah. all day. Uh, my family always makes fun of me because they're like, you know, the most random things, and I'm like, because <laughs> when I have them in it, I just pull up weird videos on YouTube, and that's all I watch. <laughs> I like it. Uh, all right, last question: What is something you would like to achieve before you die? Oh, that's a hard one. Ooh, you know what? I I know. Um, chief, I, 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 and I think it's also what I'm going to have on my tombstone. <laughs> oh. um, I just like to be known for someone that tried to make a difference. Hmm. I try to make a difference. Yeah, I love that. And I'll leave that up to your own interpretation. Nice, Jess. I mean, I feel like mine's a little heavy, but it's my truth. Um, I feel like to feel seen to feel like I was understood. And I don't know what that means today because I don't know how that's going to manifest itself throughout my life and my career. But 
I feel like my heart would feel really fulfilled if I felt understood and seen for who I am. And yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Nice. What about you, Phil? Um, Gosh, I would say I have just done so much self work to try and improve myself as a manager and a leader in my salon. So I just want to get to the point, which I don't know if it'll actually ever get there where I feel confident in my leadership and my team reciprocates that Mm -hmm. where every single Mm -hmm. one of my team members feels connected and part of the team. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. But, but you know, the, the, the big, um, how can I say that? The, how can I say, you know, I'm still Dutch, so I don't know all the words, the words don't always come to me straight away. <laughs> but I think the key to great leadership, you know, it's, real, it's called care. Yeah. And I think as long as you care, yeah. people will move the world for you, yeah. you know. Because mm-hmm. um, And that's why I'm so proud it's in our, in our mission statement, because yes. it's our second word. And I think that wasn't there by accident, you know. And I think the care factor is huge. And it could be, it's not just necessary in our industry, but anywhere in the world. If you show care as a human being, I don't think you can go wrong. I really don't. Yeah. I absolutely agree. And now what a better time than ever to open up your heart and care for others. I think that's fantastic. Well, Mm -hmm. thank you so much for spending some time with us, Antoinette. It was fantastic to get to know you. We definitely had some great laughs. I appreciate you opening up and sharing your stories with us. Oh, it's been a true honor. And thank you so much for having me on and for doing this. I I think you you guys are onto something really powerful and really fun. And um, let me know if there's anything I can help you guys with. And I, I, I heavily recommend anyone else who's asked to, to come on the beautiful hustle to, Say yes straight away because it's great fun and it's uh, and for those listeners out, thank you for spending you know the time listening to me. I really appreciate it and um, and know that I really really appreciate it and I appreciate you. So thank you. Absolutely, thank you. If you guys loved what you heard today on the podcast, make sure to hit subscribe. Leave us a rating and review. Rating and review. We appreciate it. And hey, head over to Instagram and follow us at the Beautiful Hustle Podcast. And don't forget to give Antoinette a follow. Her feed is absolutely beautiful. And catch her on all her shows. Trust me, you don't want to miss out. So until next time, everyone, stay beautiful and keep hustling. <laughs>